Welcome back to Parent Q Live. I'm Kristen Ivy, and I am here with my friend Carlos Enrique Whitaker Guzman, Archibald Caballo. That um, that was my job. Oh. I feel like every episode I've done that, and I'm slowly being demoted on the Parent Q Live podcast. But you did that really well. I tried. And honestly, like I asked you to do that because I, I I always come in with, hey guys, welcome back to Parent Q Live, and I just feel like it, we just needed a little bit different intro today. Yeah, but I don't I don't quite have that voice. Well, you you don't, but whatever your voice just whatever happened right now was just fine. All so, right, thanks for welcoming us back there, Kristen. So today we get to talk about something really extra fun. We're zoning in on parenting teenage humans. Teenage, I, I like the way you said that. Teenage humans, because sometimes. It's a stretch. You got to be reminded that they're human. They're human. They're, they're <laughs> absolutely human. They're not alien forms. They're human. But so that means, you know, just in case you're wondering, that means you're parenting a kid who's not only in the double digits, but they have teen at the end of yes. how old they are. Yes. So these are teens, 13 through 19. Yeah. If you're parenting in that zone, we're talking about you today. And if you don't have a teenager, if you're yeah. parenting before the teenage years, stay yeah. tuned because eventually you'll be here. You'll be here. And some of you may be parenting 25 teen. Like we get it. We, <laughs> we, we get that sometimes this phase lasts a little bit longer. Is that a thing? I'm a 30 teen. Well, I think, I, I think I definitely was a 2017. <laughs> so, uh, but not as in the year. Thanks. No, not as, as in the, the year, age. but as in the, the age. Uh, thanks. Thanks mom and dad for letting me come back home. Appreciate that. <laughs> so just to get ready for this topic of parenting teenage yeah. humans, we went and looked online to see what parents of teenagers oh, are saying. My, what are they tweeting? Goodness, what are they talking about? So much. <laughs> they they they're tweeting, they're tweeting a whole lot, and uh, and we 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 found some that we would love to share. And if you're a parent of a teen, we we think you will relate. So I liked this one from. Um, I think it's probably a, a mom. Okay, you know. Yeah. Uh, it says, "Dear teenagers, your mom may annoy you now." But there was a time when you loved her so much that you begged to watch her poop. Yes. Remember that. Re- let's remember Let's remember that because that happened. And, and I would say that you're probably more in that stage of I'm remembering that. I'm more in the that. first stage. So as someone who's still trying to find a sense of space, yes. privacy, yes. Um, yeah, I can appreciate that. Okay, okay. I don't remember that, um, <laughs> that, that phase. My kids are a little older. We're, we're at 11, 13, and 15. So th- this next tweet... Um, Really, really kind of fits the world that I'm living in. And I'm actually going to try this when I get home. Watch this. When punishing your teens, don't take away their electronics. Just take away their chargers and watch the fear in their eyes as they use them less and less while the batteries slowly die. I mean, <laughs> talk about some holy vengeance, maybe, is, is, is where that falls into. But uh, I, I like that. Take the chargers away. Sure. Let them have their electronics. Absolutely. But I like this fade. confident parenting one that came up Let's next. Go. This is someone says, not to brag, but I can make my kids angry just by saying good morning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I definitely can, can relate to that one as my 13-year-old. Um, I'd say every other day. It's like, do I say good morning or do I not? Like, now, to be fair, that one didn't say they were parenting a teenager. We yes. just assumed. We are definitely assuming <laughs> that um, if you're parenting a, uh, a toddler, when, when, when they say good morning to you at 5.30 a.m., maybe you're the one that gets angry at, <laughs> at, the, at the good morning. And then last but not least, I, I, I like this one. I paid my 15-year-old $10 to do the dishes. Okay, that's fine. Then on his way to the bathroom, 
I mugged him because it's my job to teach him life lessons. So awesome. Teaching teens life lessons. Life lessons. That's, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Now, Carlos, you mentioned earlier, you have teenagers in your own home. I do. So Two of what them. were your biggest surprises as a parent? When you kind of got to this zone of parenting, this phase of your life, like what was the biggest surprise for you parenting yeah. teenage humans? The, the biggest surprise for me parenting teenage humans, I think, was, was set up by the fear that was instilled into me by so many of my friends and just, just things that I heard about parenting teens is going to be so hard. It's going to be miserable. What I was surprised by is I absolutely love it. Um, they are, sure, they're teenage humans uh, and things, things are tough. Things are tough in a different way, but I absolutely love it. I enjoy it. I've been surprised at how much fun it actually is. They're actually listening to real music now. You know, like like we can my fifteen year old is suddenly like into John Mayer and I'm like, what? You know, but she's listening and so so Heather, my wife, and so Hala, they they're talking about going to see John Mayer together. It's it's fun. You know, they're turning into like these little little versions of of functioning adults. And so the, the thing that surprised me most is just how much fun it is. Um and uh see that actually gives me hope. Yes. In my phase I'm thinking I, I'm kinda done with the Moana soundtrack. Yes. So, no, so it's, like, yeah, it's, it's, be, be excited. And then they're going to start introducing you uh, to some music that you've never heard before. Um, and as uncool as I've become as a parent, because it's just kind of what happens when you have teens, uh, they just, you're, you're just the uncool version uh, of a parent. They, it, they, they really, they really, really are leaning into us in a different way. And I'm really enjoying it. That's awesome. And it's also why I think I'm so excited about the guest that we have oh, yeah. on the podcast today, because I think that's something that he really resonates with as well. Um, I've enjoyed volunteering around teenagers. I think teenagers are a lot of fun. And so it's fun to meet people who share that mm-hmm. excitement of teenagers. Yeah. And Josh Ship is who we're talking with today. He definitely has that kind of optimistic outlook about enjoying teenagers. Um, Mm -hmm. Josh has actually been a youth speaker, teen expert. He's been featured on Oprah and MTV and CNN and New York Times 2020. Most recently, he's done a TED Talk all about really how to understand a teenager. Wow! And most recently, he kind of partnered with FaZe in his latest book that is called The Grown-Up's Guide to Teenage Humans. And so we're interviewing him today on the Grown-Ups Guide to Teenage Humans, what okay. is it that the expert Josh Shipp has to say yeah. to help us all understand the teenagers living in our own homes? Well, hey, Josh, thanks for being with us here today. Kristen, a pleasure. What's going on? <laughs> always, always good to see you. So you are the teenage expert, right? Uh, Josh Shipp. Everything you need to know about teenagers. I'm so excited to have this conversation because we all get to learn how to be experts on teenagers and understand. No that is quite the buildup, quite the buildup. Understand there. every adolescent in America. Um, I'm, exactly. I'm super Get them to do whatever you want on <laughs> command with a single snap of your finger. With no disregarding the rules and always with a respectful no. manner. Right? No stress, no drama, no eye rolling, no, no sighing. I, I, I mentor this kid, he's a teenager, and he's like, I'll tell him something, he'll like sigh, be like, ah. and I'm always like, excuse me, do you have asthma? I didn't know like you had <laughs> asthma. You know, we can, we can help you with that. Oh my goodness. We can get you an inhaler, my man. <laughs> so you have this reputation for your work with teenagers, but that's because you love working with teenagers. So 
help us understand a little bit about that. I mean, what gave you this passion, this energy to just hang out with teenagers, enjoy teenagers, like being around teenagers? Yeah, I truly do. I mean, I do get that it is a challenging, tricky, nuanced phase, if you will. There you go, a little plug for your <laughs> stuff, a phase of their life. Um, but for me, the reason I love working with teenagers so much is that my life was drastically impacted during that phase of my life when I was my most annoying, uh, most acting out, most sort of, uh, you know, reeling from all the difficulties and challenges that I went through. And I just sort of had caring adult after caring adult, whether they be a foster parent, a teacher, a coach, who even though I didn't deserve it, even though I wasn't appreciative at the time, even though I lacked the perspective and maturity to see in that moment what they were doing for me, my life so drastically changed for the better during my teenage years that for me, I feel like it's sort of my obligation, my responsibility to be that sort of caring adult during the teenage years. So I think it, indeed it is a time of high stakes, but I also believe it's a time of high opportunity. So for me, you know, I'm supposed to be dead in jail or homeless. I got kicked out of close to 12 different foster homes by the time I was 14. Uh, my biological parents abandoned me at birth, and this sort of gave me this enormous chip on my shoulder entering life. You know, I look back on it, and I think about, you know, that those first set of adults I trust. So sadly, I'm that every set of adults that would follow them would do the exact same thing. It was just a matter of time until that next foster parent, that next teacher, that next youth pastor, that next whoever would be just like them and, and break my trust. And I mean, I went through some really difficult things. I was bullied. I was suicidal. I was mentally abused, physically abused, sexually abused as a kid. So indeed went through difficult things. But when I was 14, moved in with what would be my final set of foster parents, and they ultimately became sort of a stabilizing ground for me that, that changed my life and took me from sort of being this at-risk kid that, that every teacher feared having in their classroom or every parent feared their kid could turn into after watching like an episode of Jerry Springer or Dr. Philly, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I never want my kid to be that kid. I mean, I was that kid. But, but these foster parents who weren't clinically trained to deal with like really oppositional kids like me, there was nothing on their resume, there was nothing unusually um, qualifying about them, but they completely and totally changed my life, which is why my whole like philosophy is that every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. And that's not just a feel good bumper sticker, like I was that kid, that is my story, I had caring adult after caring adult who stepped in when I was least deserving of it. And that's why I do the work that I do now. So what is it? You came up, you said you were 14 yes. when you came into their home. And earlier you said that the teenage years are high stakes. Yes. What is it about 14 and what is it about being a teenager that makes it high stakes and that lays the ground for something to happen in those years that kind of really shapes a person's future? Well, I mean, it's, it's so high stakes because so many of the decisions you make, you make without mom or dad present. 
And those are catalytic decisions. They're decisions that can, in the moment, um, unknowingly sort of point your life towards something that you'll later be proud of, something that turns out well. But in the moment, it seems just like a small decision, like, oh, I'm going to join this team, or I'm going to spend some time with this caring adult, or you know, I'm going to push through this difficulty, or I'm going to go apologize to this teacher when I screwed up. Or on the other side, these seemingly in the moment, small decisions that change a life, change a kid's life for the worst. I mean, just as every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story, I've seen this, every kid is one decision away from being a statistic. You know, we, we've seen this in our own community with families I've worked with, this kid that you're like, you know, he was a good kid. She was a good kid. She had so much potential. And then, and then there was this friend, and then there was this situation, and then there were these series of circumstances. And, and again, these decisions seem so uh, like not a big deal in the moment. You know, I'm just going to send a quick text message while I'm driving. What's the big deal? That can be a game changer. Uh, okay, sometimes it's, so now we've officially scared every parent of a teenager. <laughs> well, anxiety is pretty high here. So I, I think that that's all true and we agree with you, but help us back off the cliff a little bit because yes. the parent you can't control all of those decisions and the tendency is to lean in and go okay okay if those decisions are so high stakes and my kid may not be ready to make all those decisions I just want to control the outcome of those decisions and yet with a teenager that can be so hard so help us right understand. so the, right the answer here is not lock them in a in your home or lock them in a cage until they okay, turn because I was thinking I might go do that yeah. no I mean you're welcome to if you wish but I don't necessarily suggest it so right though I mean it's important to acknowledge the risk and the anxiety because it's real and the problem is you know as a parent of a teenager you can begin to think I'm the only one that's stressed out about this I'm the only one that's freaking out about you know this or that or cyberbullying or whatever the situation is but the real key and the, and the tricky nuance with teenagers is that because you're often physically not there, to me, it's all about self-governance, meaning teaching them, modeling for them, uh, coaching them, helping them to make those good decisions when you are not there, which to me comes down to this. It's not just wishful thinking, hoping they will do such. Wishful thinking is not a strategy, but saying like, look, as a parent, um, there are clues that are indicators for me. So for example, this teenager that I mentor, Isaiah, when, when I first started mentoring him, when we would go out to like eat lunch or something, uh, he, if like something was wrong with his meal, like he said, hey, I don't want sour cream, he would not sort of speak up for himself to the waiter. He wouldn't sort of voice that thing. Now, as an adult, part of me sits there and goes, well, it's just sour cream. Like, what's the big deal? I just step in, be like, hey, you know, he said no sour cream. Can we, you know, get that remade? But as a caring adult, as a parent, I sit there and go, okay, this is a clue. This is a, this is a small clue of something that, that it, not that he is incapable of speaking up for himself, but he has not been taught. He has not been trained. He has not been coached. And to me, this is sort of, the big difference between um, parenting, say, a five-year-old and parenting a 15-year-old, right? So I have a five-year-old in my home, and with the five-year-old, I have a lot of control, which means, you know, that's sort of more of a workload for me, but it feels a little safer because for the most part, 
I control her schedule, what she eats, what she's up to, where she's going, this and that. With a 15-year-old, that becomes much less so the case. So then, well, what can I do? And, and to me, at that phase of life, you switch from sort of being air traffic controller into more so being a coach, meaning that, you know, a good coach to me, a few things, pregame, postgame, during the game, like pregame, they rehearse whatever skills that athlete needs. So if I notice, okay, Isaiah, he has a, cha- you know, he has a challenging time speaking up for himself. Well, then I'm going to help him rehearse that practice that just like a coach would be like look you're going to shoot free throws until you're like so sick and tired of, of shooting these stupid free throws um not as a punishment to the kid not because the kid is incapable of free throws but it's not just going to happen he needs to be trained with that and so that's where i kind of balance risk and safety is go okay you know during these windows where they're in my home i can identify these sort of holes in their game, these skills that they might not have fully developed and think of situations that I can intentionally put them through in the safety of my home where they have to speak up for themselves. And so with Isaiah, this was like, I'm not talking for you at a restaurant. I'm not, you know, if there's a challenge with your, with your meal, I'm not talking for you there. Also, if my if your grandma asked me like, take you to the doctor, I'm not talking to the doctor at all. Um, You know, she's not giving me the credit card and I'm paying for it. Like, I'm pushing 100% ownership and responsibility onto him. Not expecting he's going to 100% succeed, but expecting that he's going to like 80% succeed and then 20% like, ooh, it kind of fell apart here. So I go, okay, as a caring adult in his life, I can lean into that bit a little bit more. That's great. I love the strategies there. And to get some real world action points about what this looks like when you're working with a teenager and, uh, Josh, you've acquired a nickname that I don't know mm. if our listeners are going to understand, Here but you are actually the teen whisperer. Did you this, know that? I mean, that's this, such a great title. But this is not the title I gave myself. It was some like, like news organization I was doing an interview with. And they're like, ladies and gentlemen, Josh Ship, the teen whisperer. And I'm like, oh boy, that sounds creepy. <laughs> like I drive around in a windowless van offering children candy. Uh, so if you are... If you're working with uh, an, another adult who's presenting a situation that they're maybe trying to navigate with their teenager, what would be um, some of the first questions that you might ask that adult or the first um, strategies that you might give them? Well, you know, to me, again, with teenagers, it comes down to kind of two things. Number one is uh, perspective. And number two is tactics. Like, do you have the right perspective on this situation? Because that's sort of like our own mental framework, right? I mean, we all have biases and, and challenges and dysfunctions in ourselves, our own childhood that we sort of bring to this parenting game. So do you have sort of the right viewpoint on this? And the other side is the tactic. Like, do you know sort of the best proven, best practice way to go about this? So sort of two things on that front. Number one, to me, the way in which I talk to, te- to parents about understanding their teenager is to think about sort of a time that you've been on a roller coaster, right? So you, I just got back from Disneyland, so this is very fresh for me. You know, you sit down on a roller coaster, some employee of the park comes by and puts that like lap bar down in your lap, right? This is like the thing that's supposed to protect you. So if you're like most human beings, certainly like me, 
the first thing you do is you like grab a hold of that bar and you like wiggle it and push it and prod it and just wiggle the crap out of it and you try to stand up and you go through all this jujitsu just to like confirm this thing is going to you know protect you and if you think about that you, you're not wiggling and pushing and prodding and testing that bar hoping that it will fail hoping that it will give you're pushing and prodding and wiggling and testing it confirming that it will hold hmm. and this is what teenagers do because so many things in their life are like a roller coaster uncertain high highs low lows lots of uncertainty that they will push and prod and wiggle and test not hoping that you'll fail, not rooting for you to fail, not hoping secretly, they won't tell you this, that you'll back off of that consequence or that encouragement, but just confirming that in a time in their life when so many things are uncertain, it's like, hey, who is certain? Hmm. Who can I count on? Not to be perfect, um, but to be dependable, predictable, wow. consistent. So for me, as a parent, this helps me go, okay, even though sometimes I feel like a screw up and the worst dad on planet earth, this isn't about me. This is about them. This is that phase in their life where their job is to push and my job is to hold. So that, that would be the mindset I would have. And then secondly, the practical, the tactical would be around this. I, I, I think you know, a lot of parents I work with, a, a very solvable and understandable, uh, unintentional mistake can be tons of lecturing, <laughs> tons of lecturing, because you love this kid, you care for this kid, and you you're probably scared. made some of this, you're scared, <laughs> and... I mean, I know that my tendency is to lean in and start lecturing when I need to reassure myself that this, this truth that I'm holding to you or that there's some common ground or that there's something that you're trying to convince both of you that we, yeah, yeah, we still agree about this or here is, as long as you know that they can agree with you about some basics, it'll make you sleep better at night. Um, there's so much lecturing that just comes for me personally out of this base of fear. I need to hear back from you this thing that I'm so afraid that maybe you're not feeling right now or seeing right now or thinking right now. A hundred percent. And this is why it can be frustrating because what used to work at five years old doesn't work at 15. And the challenging part is you got so good at parenting the five-year-old, the seven-year-old with these certain tactics. And then when the kid is 15, it begins to backfire on you a bit because again, at 15, it's more about self-governance. It's less about like, do I know the right thing so that I can pass it on to my five-year-old? Like, hey, we shake hands, or when we leave a restaurant, we say thank you, or when someone gives you a gift, you say thank you. That's like a passing on of information. That's a teaching. That's where a lecturing um, is completely fair game. Whereas when they're 15, you know, I go, okay, I got three years left with them. Like, do they know what to do? Are they prepared? Like, not do I have the right answer, but do they have the right answer? And again, by the way, even though I'm like this teen expert, teen whisperer, as creepy as that is, whatever, like, believe me, you know, all this stuff I teach, like, I drop the ball too. I screw it up. You know, I react out of emotion. I, you know, get just tired and frustrated or scared. But to me, it's this. Instead of lecturing, which is, of course, understandable, flipping that into a question, 
because with teenagers, the lecturing will sort of cause them to mentally shut down, tune you out a bit, or perhaps just give you a nod to sort of get you off of their back. Whereas questioning builds that critical thinking, builds that self-governance. And even if you don't like their answer, it does this. It gives you a diagnostic sort of clue as to where they're at. And this can even be with things that are not as sort of confrontational, meaning something that isn't like their behavior, like, hey, why did you do that? Or would you make that same uh, you know, decision if you were in that situation again? Again, sometimes those, those sort of conversations are challenging because now you're talking about my behavior. Like, hey, Josh, you know, you did that at the school and you got suspended for it. Like, would you do that if you were in that situation again? As a teen, that can feel sort of very confrontational. You can even utilize news, popular culture, celebrity, politics, current events to get, uh, again, a diagnostic on like, where is their mind with certain things? So if, you know, some celebrity um, posts something on Twitter and they get a bunch of backlash for it, you can ask questions that feel safe to them about like, hey, what'd you think about that? You know, was that the right call? You know, are people just overreacting and, you know, they just need to chill out? Or should that celebrity have realized like, hey, what you put out there, uh, you know, once you put it out there, you have no control over it and it's sort of your public resume. So that gives you a chance as a parent to, in a non-confrontational way, take a snapshot of like, okay, what is my kid's view of like social media, where the line is, where it isn't? And again, you may like some of the stuff they say, you may not like some of the stuff they say, and with the stuff you don't, you go, okay, now I know what the mountain is I need to climb. Now I know what's missing. Now I know where their thinking is flawed, and I need to lean into that and help them understand that bit a little bit more. I think that's great. As a, someone who's volunteered with high schoolers a lot, something you just said stood out to me because I thought so often when I was teaching high school, for example, uh-huh. I would hear teenagers say the most remarkable things in an encouraging way, that they had yes. a good view of life and values and that they they process the world in some very positive ways. Um, and again, volunteering with teenagers, I would see the same kind of things. And sometimes I think as parents, our tendency is that we care so much about the kids in our home. Um, For sure. We can become so concerned um, that we're hyper-focused on their particular decisions, their particular actions, and that that adds an element of conflict sometimes to the conversation when you're talking specifically about that choice you made or that action you decided to do, there's automatic built-in confrontation there as opposed to uh, having a more open-ended conversation about something that may be happening in the world outside and beyond us in a hypothetical, low-pressure, low-stakes kind of environment um, exactly. Oftentimes, I wonder if we might not see a different side of teenagers in those conversations. So I love that you kind of pointed to that difference in a conversation. For sure. You can use that. I mean, or even like, you know, finding out what their favorite song is, their favorite TV show, their favorite movie, watching or listening, assuming it's like at least mostly appropriate, you know, watching and listening without judgment, but trying to think like, what are the, what are the deeper narratives in there that makes my daughter interested in this movie? Or my son interested in this song. Like, you know, what is it that that he what is it about the song that speaks to him that he likes? Now maybe I don't like the the bass line or the this and that or you know, whatever, but but what is the deeper message beyond just the music that's that's uh, appealing to them there? 
Yeah. Yep. Anytime you can use that stuff that's like sort of outside, hey, you did this stupid thing, let's talk about it, is <laughs> a really good strategy. Now, Josh, you have a book that's coming out this week. It's called The Grown-Up's Guide to Teenage Humans. That's yes. newly available, like hot off the presses, shipping out this week. Tell us just a little bit about that. Yeah, so for me, the goal in writing this book was to give parents of teenagers both hope and strategies. 99.9% uh, .9 of parents I have ever met, talked with, interacted with, even parents who are in very dire situations with their teen, they all loved them, wanted to do the right thing, uh, were earnest about it. And so, you know, part of this book's goal is to give parents hope of like, you know, things like that roller coaster metaphor of like, hey, keep this in mind. Realize this. Here are some success stories. Here are some, you know, shots of inspiration to remind you that even when things get tricky and challenging and frustrating and exhausting, which they do for every parent, you know, here are some things, some hope to keep in mind. And then secondly, and I think personally for me, even more important are practical strategies. Because again, every parent I've ever met is like, I want to help. I want to do the right thing. I want to get them to open up. I want to know how I can help. I want them to be intrinsically motivated. I don't want to have to nag them or lecture them. But like, dude, like, what do I do? You know, how do I go about this in a way that strengthens the relationship instead of I try something earnestly and it feels like it maybe pushes them away. And so, I mean, truly half of this book is set up like a cookbook where it's essentially like, hey, here's, here's like a, a laundry list of challenges that I don't hope you're going to have with your teenager, but all of the research says at some point you're likely going to have, you know, a handful of these sorts of challenges with your teenager. Uh, you know, like how do you get them to take ownership and apologize? Uh, awkward conversations like how do you talk to them about sex? How do you talk to them about death? How do you convince them to get help or go to counseling? So there's sort of a laundry list of these challenges that parents um, might or could face. And then like a cookbook, like super, super practical. Step one, step two, step three, keep this in mind. Here's like exactly the paragraph to say to open up this conversation. And so for me, uh, this, is, this is the book that I wanted because I go, look, I want to do the right thing. Like I get I'm not a perfect person or a perfect parent, but like I want to do the right thing. So just like tell me what to do. So this and is a book that everybody can get and maybe you read it all the way through, but maybe you just have it on your shelf so that if something comes up, you can pull it off the shelf, look up the thing you're dealing with and exactly. go to the recipe you need in the moment you need it. Exactly. And just give it a spin, give it a try. And, and again, we worked with a variety of parenting experts on this. So this is, you know, these strategies are not just sort of anecdotal and Hey, this worked with me and my foster parents or, you know, this particular kid, but it's like, look, we pulled together experts and said, here's what the research says, here's how you go about this, and then just sort of took their science, which can sometimes be sort of, you know, a little too nerdy and unapproachable, and was like, hey, here's how you go about this, here's how to think about this in sort of common, uh, plain English. That's great. I always love a manual I can go to. That sounds like you're back to your advice column days, Josh. Exactly. Uh, I, this is like ask Josh in a manual style. So exactly. Exactly. I love it. That's going to be fantastic and an incredible resource. Thank you for all your work to put that together. Um, so parents 
can have something on their shelf available and just something easy and practical and actionable in the moment that they need it most. We love that. Um, here at ParentQ, we always try to help parents have an action step they can take now. So that is a phenomenal resource. Um, one last thing, I just want, as we're wrapping here, to ask you if you could tell every parent of a teenager one mm -hmm. thing, if you wanted to leave us with one idea to kind of wrap our brains around when it comes to parenting teenagers, what would that be? Well, it makes me think of this story. A preteen girl was walking down the streets of New York with her dad. Her dad began to sort of hum and sing to himself. And his preteen daughter was utterly mortified by this, right? Dad being super embarrassing. So she turns to her dad and kind of yells at him, Dad, please stop singing. That dad was Billy Joel. <laughs> Indeed, the same Billy Joel who sold out Madison Square Garden 32 times so people could hear this dad sing, but to his preteen daughter, he's not, you know, Grammy Award winner, brilliant entertainer. He's just the most embarrassing dad in the world. <laughs> and I think for parents, for all of us, it's so important to realize that sometimes our teenagers particularly can send mixed signals. They can unintentionally, unknowingly send us a signal that seems to yell, dad, shut up please stop singing. But this is a time in their life where they need your voice, where they most need your voice. They are in these roller coaster years. And though sometimes their signals won't say so, um, don't stop singing. They need your voice. My parents, I moved in with 14. They completely and totally changed my life. If it wasn't for them, as I said, I'd be dead in jail or homeless. I moved in with them in 1994. I did not thank them until 2004. And some parents might find themselves in that 1994 phase right now, where it's difficult, it's challenging, maybe not getting the positive reinforcement and feedback that you wish you were, but realize that they need your voice and that that 2004 is forthcoming. That's great, I love that, that we don't let the pushing away push us away. Mm -hmm. Keep leaning in, keep holding strong, keep standing firm. So thank you so much for this conversation, Josh. Thank you for being here with us on PRQ. Wow, thank you, Kristen, for that great conversation with Josh. Parents, listen up. Josh, as he talked a little bit about in that interview, has a brand new book, The Grown-Up's Guide to Teenage Humans. I know as a parent, I want to read this book. And so, hey, we've got some good news for you guys. A, you guys can get Josh's book at Josh Ship with two P's on ship.com. That's J-O-S-H-S-H-I-P-P.com. You can purchase the book there. But even better news, Josh has allowed us to give away a few copies. And this is how we're going to do it. We want you guys to go to our Facebook page and tell us the thing that you were most surprised about becoming a teen parent. So if you're a teen parent... Go on there, uh, leave us a comment on what surprised you the most about becoming a teen parent, and we're going to choose a few of you guys to give Josh's book to. So thanks again, guys, for hanging out with us here on Parent Q Live. If you wouldn't mind, head over to iTunes, rate us five stars, hang out with us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash 
Parent Q. Join us on Instagram, which is at Parent Q on Instagram. And uh, we'll just continue on this conversation. We'll see you next time on Parent Q Live.